Welcome to Leading Lights. Please visit leadinglightsnetwork.com for more information and resources. We are doing a series on the book of Ruth in the Bible, a small book, only four chapters long, about a lady called Ruth who was from a place called Moab, which I don't know if you know much about the way the Bible works, but a lot of the Bible is about Israel and God's chosen people, the Israelites. Everything seems to focus on them. And there was this little tribe next to Israel called the Moabites. Uh, actually, Lot, I don't know if you remember the old stories, but Abraham had a nephew called Lot, and Lot had children, and some of those children, they were conceived in sin. There was all sorts of weirdness going on in that family, Lot's family. They'd lived in Sodom and Gomorrah, and they were, they were into some weird stuff. Anyway, he had some children, and Moab was one of those children, and they grew up to be a tribe that was antagonistic to the Israelites. And this lady, Ruth, grows up next to this amazing thing that God is doing on planet Earth, this promised land and these people, Israel, but she's next to, she's excluded, she's so close and yet so far, and somehow God brought Ruth from Moab not just into Israel and, and let her be adopted as an Israelite, but changed her whole life. Um, she, her husband had died, she was a widow, and she was poor in Moab. God brought her into Israel, gave her a husband, gave her everything she needed, gave her children, and she became the great-grandmother of King David, so an essential part of God's story, and then part of the lineage of Jesus, the Messiah, came out of Ruth. And all we're doing in this series is we're saying, you and I are like Ruth. We are excluded from God's purposes for no other reason than we have sinned and our whole human race have sinned, and we need to find a way to get into all this river of God's blessing in life. How do we do it? Do we be good? Do we try hard? Do we uh, obey a whole lot of things? We can't do it. A Moabite cannot become an Israelite on their own. It's just impossible. It's an unreachable, unattainable uh, goal. And yet God can do it. And what we're doing is we're looking at Ruth and her steps from Moab into being Jesus's great, 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 great grandmother. How did that happen? And let's see if it's happening in our lives. And I just want to say that for many of us, it has already happened. Many of us have found Jesus and we've been put into, grafted into, the Bible says, grafted into the vine of his life, um, of his chosen people. We've been put into God's family already. But what we're doing by looking at this is just re-looking at the process. For some of us, it's a heartwarming story of, wow, look what God did in Ruth's life and in my life in the past. For many of us, it's just reaffirming what we already know. But for some of us, there are steps that Ruth took which we have missed. And so we're saying, why am I not enjoying the benefits and the blessings of being in God's family and God's people and all of these amazing things that were poured into Ruth's lap? Why am I not seeing that? Why am I a Christian, but I'm battling in all these different areas? Why do I feel unfulfilled? Why do I feel like I've got a leg in two fields? One is good and one is bad. Why do I feel tension and stress and struggle in my life? Sometimes it's because... There are some of the steps that Ruth took that we haven't taken. And so last week we looked at pri primarily the relationship aspect. If Ruth had not married an Israelite, 
she would not have got into the promised land. Who we associate with, the people we allow into our lives are, is such an important decision in our lives. And for some of us, that was a, a point of repentance. We said, wow, I've got to, I've got to watch this and who I, who I allow right into my heart. And then the second thing was the covenant aspect. If Ruth hadn't said to her mother-in-law, I'm with you no matter what. I'm covenanted to you. She would have missed God's purposes. And so that was another challenge for us. Am I covenanted to some of God's people? And today we're moving on to the next step, which I've called, the harder I practice, the luckier I get. And that's a quote, uh, Gary Player said it, but many other people have said it as well. I'm not sure he was the first to say it. Gary Player was a very famous golfer, is a very famous golfer, and he was practicing one day golf and he was chipping balls onto a green and there was somebody watching and the person said, I bet you $50 you can't get that in the hole. And Gary Player chipped it in and it went in the hole. And the guy said, wow, I bet you $100 you can't do that again. And Gary Player did it again. The third time he said, I bet you $200 you can't do it again. And he did it again. And the man gave him the $200 and said, you're the luckiest golfer I've ever seen. And Gary Player said, the harder I practice, the luckier I get. And the idea behind this is God's grace is what brought Ruth from, the prom from Moab to the promised land. But there were some practices, some good habits, some lifestyle things that she exhibited which enabled God's grace to come into her life. And so I want to be very careful today. I, there's a risk of me straying off the track here and giving you a wrong message. The true message of Christianity is it's all about God's grace. But there are some things I can do that help God's grace come to me or prevent God's grace from coming to me. And the error is to think that I've earned God's grace. I haven't, but there are some things I can do to position myself for God's grace. Does that make sense to you? For example... When John the Baptist came, Jesus was the Messiah. John the Baptist wasn't. But John the Baptist said, my job is to make a straight path for the Messiah so that when he comes, people will receive him. And he told people to repent and to get their hearts right with God so that when Jesus came, they were ready to receive the grace that God was giving them. And Luke 7 verse 30 says that the Pharisees did not accept Jesus because they hadn't been baptized by John. In other words, they hadn't got themselves ready to receive the grace. And so when the grace came, their minds were elsewhere. That's the kind of picture I'm trying to give us, is that there are things we can do to make ourselves ready. Let me give you another example. Let's just say Wimbledon tennis competition are giving away free tickets to center court. But all you've got to do is you've got to be at the Wimbledon tennis grounds on a certain day between certain times of the day. It's a free gift. The ticket is not something you've earned or paid for or deserved. All you have to do is be there and say, thank you. But if you're not there to say thank you, you won't get it. Could you say, I've earned this ticket? No. But we can be in the right place at the right time. The harder I work, the luckier I get. Be in the right place, it's God's grace. I really hope that I, I don't stray today. And if I do, just shout at me. Say, Greg, rubbish sermon. And I'll say, okay. So let's read. 
chapter 2, verse 1. There was a relative of Naomi's husband, a man of great wealth, of the family of Elimelech. His name was Boaz. So they, the, the Bible writer is priming us that there's this guy called Boaz, who's this amazing answer. He's part of God's grace gift to Ruth, who's going to be her husband. But Ruth doesn't know about him. And Naomi, Ruth's mother, has, doesn't know that he exists either. I mean, she kind of knows of him, but they don't know anything about him. But it's just warning us that there's this guy, Boaz. And can I just say, I'm not talking about finding a spouse today, but there are some principles here. If you're a single person trying to find a spouse, God has a Boaz for you. And it's important for you to know that. You can stray off the path and take... The, a good option, but it's not the best option. You can take Mr. Good-looking, who's uh, not Boaz, um, rich as, or, or seems nice as, but he's not your Boaz. Amen. You've got to, you've got to say, God, who's the one you've got for me? It says, it's translated here, a man of great wealth. And that little phrase is exactly the same Hebrew phrase which God said to Gideon. He said, Hey, Gideon, you mighty man of valor. So it's not just wealth. It's he was full of God. He was full of God's power. This guy, Boaz, that God has for you is the right one for you. Or if you're a man, the right lady for you. And you've just got to find him. And some of these steps that Ruth went through are the same steps that will help us find a spouse. But that's, that's a kind of a side sermon. You get two for the price of one today. Verse 2, so Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, please let me go to the field and glean heads of grain after him in whose sight I may find favor. And she said to her, go my daughter. I must tell you what happened. In Israel, God set up a system. They didn't have social security. They didn't have, um, you know, a way of helping poor people. All they did was God put in the law in Leviticus and Deuteronomy, Leviticus 19, Deuteronomy 24, and various other places, God said, if you own a field and you are reaping the harvest from your field, you mustn't reap all the way to the corners of the field. And if you drop anything while you're reaping, you must leave it. You mustn't pick it up. And in some cases, he said, leave some of the, the stuff on purpose. Don't reap everything because poor people are allowed by law to come after you and pick up whatever they can and that will help them feed themselves. So it was a law. They were entitled to it, but we're going to see a little bit later on. And this is one of the hard work that produces luck. This is one of the aspects today, is that Ruth, even though she was entitled by law to pick up, she never considered herself entitled. She never said, they owe me something. She was humble and she said, please, can I? She treated it as if she was receiving a favor instead of something she deserved. And that's part of this process of getting my heart right to receive the grace of God. So let's read on. Verse 3, then she left and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come upon the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was the family of Elimelech. You see, the principle that I'm trying to bring out today is that when you put yourself in the right position, when you go to Wimbledon at the right time, at the right place, if you live in God's plan and the way that He wants to do things, it's still a free gift, but it seems to others like you've been lucky. Oh, you just got that job. Oh, you just met the right person. Oh, you happened to be in Boaz's field. Oh, you, whatever, won this and got that and oh, you got promoted. But it's not luck. 
The harder I work, the luckier I get. Amen? It's God, but I'm just cooperating. Friends, we can do this. In our church, we speak about grace so much. We speak about grace all the time. Today, I'm bringing a slight counterbalance, and I'm saying, yes, grace. But if you don't live according to, if you don't practice like Gary Player practices, if you don't get to Wimbledon at the right time, if you don't do the right things, you can miss the grace of God. So, she happened to come to the field of belonging to Boaz. Verse 4, Now Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. He was a godly man, a really good man. Then Boaz said to his servant, who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? You see what's happening here is God is inspiring a romance. I love it. As a pastor of a church, I watch for these because I want my young people to get married to other Christian young people. And I love it when I see a spark of romance. It's awesome. Verse 6. So the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered and said, It is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. And she said, Please let me glean and gather after the reapers among the sheaves. So she came and has continued from morning until now, though she rested a little in the house. She said, please can I? She had every right to just go and glean. She was entitled by law, but she came humbly. She asked permission. She honored them. And she worked extremely hard from morning till evening, taking a very short break. Thomas Edison, who was the great inventor, said many people miss the opportunity of a lifetime because it's dressed in overalls and looks like hard work. Isn't that true? <laughs> How many people say, the Lord will provide, I'll just stay in my home and I'll pray all day and thank Him and praise Him and, and rest in the Spirit. And he says, I've got the job for you, just get out there and go and find it. Amen. That was a good chance to say amen. You missed it. Right. Then Boaz said to Ruth, so Boaz is now talking to this lady who is going to be his wife, and they're going to have an amazing family life and marriage. Boaz said to Ruth, You will listen, my daughter, will you not? Do not go to glean in another field, nor go from here, but stay close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field which they reap. Go after them. Have I not commanded the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels, drink from what the young men have drawn. Favor, opportunity, blessing. Wow, that guy just always seems to have the good luck. No, it's the favor of God. He didn't deserve it, but he put himself in the right place by being humble, hardworking, and honoring others. Good sermon. Verse 10. So she fell on her face, bowed to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I'm a foreigner? Not the world owes me something. Everyone's been so mean to me. Oh, my husband died. Life's hard. Give me, give me, give me. No, no, why have you been so kind to me? I don't deserve anything. Can you see that difference? Instead of being entitled, she considers herself blessed. Boy, there's something really, really important there. You know, those of us who are employers, who are bosses, a person's attitude is almost more important than their skills. Isn't that true? And if a person has an entitled attitude, it doesn't matter how good they are, there's a problem. Okay, let's move on. 
Then Boaz answered and said to her, It has been fully reported to me all that you've done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, and how you've left your father and your mother in the land of your birth, and have come to a people whom you did not know before. So he'd heard about her reputation. You see, the other side of this coin is it's not just I put myself in the position for God to bless me, but human society works that the same things that put us in the place to receive God's grace impress other people. Those same things. I'm putting myself there to receive the free Wimbledon ticket, but other people in the queue also see, and they start telling people, that person's honest, reliable, hardworking, humble. And so it all starts to conspire together. Other people start to help me. Not always, by the way. Sometimes you get uh, punished for doing good and doing God's work, but often people will reward you as well as God. Verse 12, the Lord repay your work and a full reward be given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come for refuge. We're coming under God's wings of refuge. Then she said, let me find favor in your sight, my Lord, for you have comforted me and have spoken kindly to your maidservant, though I am not like one of your maidservants. Boaz said to her at mealtime, come, eat of the bread, dip your piece of bread in the vinegar. So she sat beside the reapers and he passed parched grain to her and she ate and was satisfied and kept some back. She kept a portion to give to her mother-in-law. Generosity. And I'm going to talk more about that later. You'll be astounded when I tell you about generosity. Verse 15. She rose up again to glean. Boaz commanded his young men saying, let her glean even among the sheaves. In other words, not just let her pick up the bits that fall. Let her go and pick some grain. Wow. Why is, why is Ellie so blessed in her work? She just seems to always succeed and prosper and Clients come to her and people love her. Oh, it's not fair. No, it is. God's grace is giving her that. And she's just put herself in the right place by doing the right things. Awesome. And then verse 16. Also let grain from the bundles fall purposely for her. He said, pretend to drop some stuff for her. You know, when you're in the favor of the Lord, it looks like you're the luckiest person alive. And you didn't deserve it, but you put yourself in the right position. So she gleaned in the field until evening. Hard work. Hard work. Beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. That's a lot. That's 29 pounds of barley. That was a lot of stuff for one day's work. She took it, went into the city, and her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. So she brought out and gave to her what she had kept back after she had been satisfied. She was generous. She gave it, gave it to her mother-in-law. And her mother-in-law said, Where have you gleaned today, and where did you work? Blessed be the one who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked, and said, The man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. Then Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, Blessed be he of the Lord, who has not forsaken his kindness to the living and the dead. And Naomi said to her, this man is a relation of ours, one of our close relatives. Remember, last chapter, Naomi said, don't call me Naomi, call me Mara, because I'm bitter and the Lord has dealt, dealt harshly with me. Now she's saying, blessed be the Lord, who has not forsaken his kindness to the living and the dead. What's the difference? It's actually not Naomi, it's Ruth. Ruth's attitude and humility and hard work and grace and living correctly has brought grace into Naomi's life. Other people will benefit from the grace on your life. Others will. 
And if you're one of those others, if you're a Naomi next to a person who's full of God's favor and grace, you're lucky, but I encourage you to become a Ruth. Change and start copying the Ruth and, and put yourself in that place. Humility. Not entitled. Grateful. Hardworking. Living right. Giving praise to God and being generous. That's pretty much it. Ruth said, he also said to me, you shall stay close to my young men until they have finished all the harvest. This is a test. Boaz says to Naomi, stay close to my young men. He's watching to see, is she going to go after the young men? Because Boaz is a bit older than her, and there's some fit young men with their shirts off, muscular, sweaty, and he's thinking, let's see if she, what she's like. Um, yeah, I, don't, I, could, I could go about three different directions there, but I'm just going to stop there. Just watch, when, you, when you're single and you're dating, watch, watch how they react to others. But if you are trying to find God's spouse for you, don't be running after every Tom, Dick or Harry. Wait. You know, Isaac and Rebecca, it says that Isaac was worshipping in the fields when God brought Rebecca to him. He wasn't in a nightclub with some other girl. Enough said. Verse 22, And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you go out with the young women, not the young men, and that people do not meet you in any other field. So she stayed close by the young women of Boaz to glean until the end of the barley harvest and wheat harvest, and she dwelt with her mother-in-law. Okay, I've spoken about most of the points, but I just want to talk about generosity now. Are you, you okay with that? Right. There's a man called John Templeton. He's a famous investor. Uh, you can look him up on Wikipedia. He manages wealth for other people. And he said, I, observe, I have observed 100,000 families over my years of investment counseling. I always saw greater prosperity and happiness among those families who tithed than among those who didn't. What is this idea? There's this idea of tithing, which is part of God's plan. It doesn't earn God's favor, but it puts us in a position for God to multiply and bless us. So the little boy, when Jesus fed the 5,000, the little boy who gave his five loaves and two fish, he was simply giving Jesus something to multiply. When we tithe, when we give to God, we give Him something to work with. God says, I want to bless, but give me something to bless. Does that make sense? You see, we have resources, and we think, God, bless what I've got. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 9 that out of everything we have, some is bread and some is seed. Did you know that? 2 Corinthians 9, verse 10 of 2 Corinthians 9. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food, may he supply and multiply the seed you have sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness. Some of what God has given us is bread, which means I must eat it. But some is seed, which means I must give it so that God can multiply it and give me more. And if I eat everything... If I eat the seed and the bread, there's nothing for God to multiply. Does that make sense? And so tithing is this principle that even non-believers have understood. 
Even non-Christian people, business people and, and various people, have clicked into this idea that if I give, God multiplies, and they do it. So, let me read you a few. Henry Crowell, the founder of the Quaker Oats Company, massive company, uh, makes more than $10 billion a year. He said for over 40 years, he get, he's given up to 60 to 70% of his income to God's causes. He started with 10%, and now he gives 70 William Colgate, the founder of Colgate Soap, started giving 10% from the very beginning. By the end of his life, he was giving over almost 100%. James Craft, Craft Foods, he started giving, and by the end of his life, he was giving nearly 100% away. John Hines, Henry John Hines, Hines Ketchup, gave much more than 10%. David Green of the Hobby Lobby Company, uh, Mr. Proctor of the Ivory Soap Company, John Hewler of uh, a candy a sweet maker, uh, Matthias Baldwin of the Baldwin Locomotive Company, R.G. Letourneau, amazing guy, R.G. Letourneau, he, earth-moving equipment in the Second World War, he supplied and made all the heavy earth-moving equipment just about for everyone in, in the whole of the Second World War, um, amazing guy, started a university, he's got 300 patents to his name, he was a faithful tither and more. Uh, Richard Devos, founder of Amway, Anthony Rossi, the founder of the Tropicana Orange Juice Company. He said um, he arrived from Italy in America in the 1920s as a young teenager with nothing but the clothes on his back. One Sunday in church he prayed, Lord, if you give me an idea for a business, I will be faithful to give a portion of everything I make back to your work. That very morning, the idea of fresh squeezed orange juice popped into his head, and the rest is history. He founded the Tropicana Company, and he's been faithful to give not just 10%, um, but up to 50% of his income away for, for the last 60 years. John D. Rockefeller, senior, he was the, the old guy. He began tithing as a child. Um, he came from a poor family with an absent father. His mother taught him to put down a root of faithfulness. Um, his fortune when he died in 1937 was 760 billion US dollars, which adjusted to today's rates which has adjusted to today, today's rates. That's 12 times more than the wealth of Bill Gates. 12 times more than the wealth of Bill Gates when he died. And this is what he said. I, begin, I had begun to work as a small boy to help support my mother. My first wages amounted to $1.50 per week. The first week after I went to work, I took the $1.50 home to my mother. She held the money in her lap and explained to me that she would be happy if I would give a tenth of it to the Lord. I did, and from that week until this day, I have tithed every dollar God has entrusted to me. And I want to say, if I had not tithed the first dollar I made, I would not have tithed the first million dollars I made. Isn't that amazing? And all of his grandchildren, David Rockefeller and, and all the others, um, David Rockefeller, one of his grandchildren, said, when he was seven years old, he received an allowance of 50 cents a week. He was taught to put aside five cents uh, for savings and five cents belong to the Lord. And he did that for the rest of his life. So what are we saying here? Folks, there are things we can do. We cannot earn God's blessing. Please, please don't hear what I'm not saying. We cannot earn it, but we can put ourselves in a place to receive it. God wants to bless us. He wants to take us from Moab into the promised land. He wants to take us into this place of all the good things that he has for us. And it's his grace, but he just wants us to be ready. And the last thing I want to say 
is that if you've messed up, if you've messed up, you can repent. <laughs> repent is not a horrible negative word like, oh no, I must repent. Repent is an opportunity where I've been driving down a road and I've realized I'm on the wrong path and I just turn around and I go back and I get back onto the right path and God says, all's forgiven. Let's go forward from here into the promised land. And we can do that. It's a wonderful opportunity. You know, when the devil condemns us, we feel guilty and bad. When God convicts us, we say, yay, I can repent. And I want to say to you, if you have been one of those people, perhaps you've run after all the other non-Boazes, or perhaps you haven't been giving generously to the Lord, or perhaps you haven't been working hard, or perhaps you haven't been living right, you've been, I don't know, whatever it is, you've been running the wrong way. A verse has just occurred to me. In Psalm 23, it says, The Lord is my shepherd. He leads me beside still waters. He takes me to green pastures. He restores my soul. God wants to lead you to all these wonderful places. But there's a little phrase in verse 3 of Psalm 23. It says, He leads me in paths of righteousness. The path to the green pastures, the path to the still waters, the path to having my soul restored, to having the Boaz in my life, to having all that, is a righteousness path. And if you're on a path that is disobeying God's word, for whatever reason, you might have thought, God said to me, do this and this and this. Abraham thought God said to him, sleep with his servant girl Hagar to get the promised son. It was a path of not righteousness and it led to the wrong place. It was trying to get to God's correct end, but it was going in an unrighteous way. You might have tried to get to what God wants for you in an unrighteous way. God says, repent today. Come back. Be like Ruth. Get on the right path and I will lead you into all the good things that I have for you. And one last thing I need to say. 1 Peter 3 and 4 says sometimes we do the right things, but we still suffer because we're living in an unrighteous world and people and all sorts of other forces are at play. So just because I do all the right things doesn't mean I'll have an easy life. But 1 Peter 3 verse, I think it's 17, says it's better to suffer for doing good than for doing bad. If I have a choice, I'd rather do the right thing and be blessed by God and get to heaven and at least know I'm on the right path, even though I might be suffering, then know that it's because a consequence of my bad actions. So what am I saying today? Friends, the, Gary Player said, the harder I practice, the luckier I get. Ruth would have said, the more I trust and obey the Lord, the more of His grace comes into my life. I'm going to ask us today to just think and say, Lord, am I on the path of righteousness? to the green pastures, to the quiet waters, to the restoring of my soul, to the preparing a table in the presence of my enemies, to dwelling in the house of the Lord forever. Am I on the path of righteousness or have I thought I can live outside of God's plan and yet still get all the benefits? And if you've realized I'm living outside of God's plan but I'm still wanting the benefits, today is the day where we say, God, I repent that is a wrong thinking. I'm sorry, Lord. I choose today to get back on the path. And he says, yes. And he pours his life and his forgiveness and his mercy and his blessing. In. And he says, it's as if you never sinned. We're back on track from today. is as quick as an instant. He says, it's all forgiven. Let's move ahead.
Let's stand together. Thanks for listening. Please respond to this message by asking the Lord how He wants you to change your life as a result of what you've heard. Allow your group leader to pray with you now as you respond to this word. And if you have been blessed by this teaching, please consider supporting this ministry financially by making a donation on the giving page at leadinglightsnetwork.com.